You see that he was like a leopard and his feet are like a bear. And so uh, we will go very, very slow. Uh, I do want to give you a couple of resources to look at on your own if you would really like to go in depth on this. Um, the first one is Love Worth Finding Ministries. And Love Worth Finding is the ministry that Adrian Rogers had at Bellevue Baptist Church. He has the entire book of Revelation. Uh, you can listen to him. He does an excellent, excellent job. Uh, another resource is uh, gty.org, grace to you. Org. That's John MacArthur. He does an excellent, excellent job of uh, teaching through the book of Revelation. I use a lot of both of those individuals' stuff. Do I agree with everything they say? No. But are they a very good resource? Yes. Uh, and then third, uh, I don't think I have to tell you, but uh, David Jeremiah, uh, three wonderful uh, resources for you. If you would like to go in-depth even more, than what we are able to on um, Wednesday nights. Um, but when we come to chapter 13, um, it really needs to be checked back into chapter 12, kind of this flow right through it. And I want to read verses 17, and then we will pray. And Revelation chapter 12, verse 17, and says, The dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring, who kept... Keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. And so let's pray. Father, tonight we know that only your spirit can reveal truth to us. Lord, only you can produce fruit in us. And so, Father, tonight I ask that you would work and move. And, Lord, that it would all be about your glory. Lord, none of us know all the answers. None of us uh, have the market cornered on truth. Lord, only you. And so, Lord, we pray that you would give us humility. And, Lord, a desire to love you, to know you and to serve you more. And so, Lord, we just ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. And so, uh, last week as we looked at chapter 12, and we uh, looked at that for the last couple weeks, uh, I told you that I believe the woman is the nation of Israel, uh, the child is the Lord Jesus Christ, and the dragon is Satan. And that it was giving you an overview of why the world has had problems since its creation, and how the dragon wanted to kill uh, the child, and we have seen that through his uh, attack on Calvary. Uh, we looked at how he wanted to kill the woman in the Old Testament by trying to eradicate the Jewish people. We looked there in verses 7 through uh, 12 that Satan is going to lead a rebellion with the fallen angels that are released against heaven, and that he will be thrown out of heaven. And then the last um, uh, 13 verses 17 was that he was trying to persecute them after being cast to the earth and how he was unsuccessful. And so that's kind of the overview of, of what has happening and what has happened. And then in chapter 13, we get the specifics about how he has tried to do that, starting at the beginning of the tribulation and how we have looked at verses one through chapters 1 through 11 as a overview of what heaven has saw, what earth has saw, and then chapters 12 and 13 we're seeing uh, the tribulation from Satan's point of view. And so if you see there that the dragon was enraged with the woman, look at verse 1 of chapter 13. And if someone would like to read those 10 verses, I would greatly appreciate it. And then I stood on the sea, sand of the sea. 
saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard, his feet were like the feet of a bear, his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him power, his throne, and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. But they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God, to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwelt in heaven. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overthrow them. And authority was given over every tribe, tongue, and nation, and all who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose name has not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If any, anyone has an ear, let him hear. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. There is patience in the faith of the saints. So we're probably not going to get through very much of this tonight because when we think about the Antichrist, all kinds of things come to our mind. I remember um, uh, when uh, two presidents ago, uh, you probably heard people say that he was the Antichrist. Uh, huh? Well, I disagree for one verse that we're going to look at tonight. But, um, but I think that we have heard a lot of things, and you have to be very careful attaching a label to a person. Just like you have to be very careful attaching a date to the Lord's return. Because when it doesn't work out the way that you think it does, then it what? It causes great problems. And so the Antichrist is described in two ways in the Bible. One, the spirit of the Antichrist, which is anyone or anything that stands against Christ. All right? That is over and over again talked in the Bible. But then there is also one referenced as the Antichrist, an individual that seems... When you read the New Testament to, and the Old Testament to be the embodiment of everything that rejects Jesus, okay? And if you don't separate those two, you're going to get very kind of confused as you read through the New Testament. Let's look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. Little children, it is the last hour, and you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. So... John says there is going to be an Antichrist who is coming. It's not a question of is he going to come or not. He is. Even now, many Antichrists have come by which we know that this is the last hour. And so when someone is moved to fight against the cause of Christ, uh, to reject the cause of Christ, and not just ignore it, because most people, let's be honest, just they just don't give any thought to God. They live their life. They do their own things. But then there are some people who are at war against Christ. You can see them in politics, right? You can see the, uh, the legislator that thinks he's a boy, that says he's a girl, that dresses like a, a it and looks like a fool and gets up on television and says, the only thing America needs is to get rid of God, right? It's the problem. All right, you've seen people who write books attacking the Christian faith, 
uh, speakers who attack the Christian faith. I recently had a good friend of mine who is a pastor preached a funeral for a young man who had spent his time uh, trying to fight against the Christian faith in conferences and different YouTube videos, and uh, uh, he died. And, um, and, uh, and I can promise you today that uh, what he spent his whole life fighting against, he stood before and had to acknowledge that Jesus is who he says he is. And so when we look at that, we have to be very careful that we can say the spirit of the Antichrist or the Antichrist. And what he says is that the spirit of the Antichrist is going to get worse, right? We're going to see more and more people oppose the things of God, to oppose the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is why even in America it used to be you had cultural Christianity, right? That if you wanted to run for mayor, you better find the biggest church in town and be a part of it. Right? Or if you want to run for the school board or whatever else required people's support, you better get involved and you better get votes. Now, if you are to identify a Bible-believing church, all right, I don't, I'm not talking about some half-infidel, liberal, mainline denomination, okay? I'm talking a Bible-believing church. You are going to lose votes. You're going to lose support. You're going to lose business as a business owner. Why? Because the spirit of the Antichrist is growing worse. The, the people want nothing to do with being told that they are sinners, that Jesus died for them, that Jesus will save them, and he has a purpose for their life. And so listen to what John says there. It's very, very important. Little children. It gives this idea that we are his belonging to the Lord, but yet the thing about little children is that we are defenseless on our own. All right? That's very, very important. It is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, stop, comma, right? Even now many Antichrists have come by which we know that it is the last hour. And so do not be surprised that things are getting worse and worse and worse. Uh, it's just the sign of the times, okay? All right, any questions about that? So, oh. actually, Obama could be an Antichrist. Mm-hmm. But now, where is the definitive for the Antichrist? Because if you look at other translations, that Antichrist, you don't see the in there. Well, I think I'm that... looking into that a little bit here. Well, I think we're going to find that as you go through and look at some of these other verses, too. So we'll kind of tackle that in just a minute, all right? Yeah. Well, I think we're going to see from this that there is going to be, the Antichrist is going to be a man that is demon-possessed by a certain spirit. And I believe that spirit has already been picked to be the one who possesses this individual, okay? When he comes, I believe that Satan does not have that yet, but we're actually going to look at that as well as we walk through this chapter. So God's not going to be surprised that here's the Antichrist. No, absolutely not. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Other questions? All right. Well, let's look at 1 John 2.2. 2. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. 
So now we're not only seeing that it's people that stand against the cause of Christ, but the Spirit of Christ can be anyone who denies the Lord Jesus Christ. And why is that? Jesus said, you are of your father, the devil, right? And so those who reject Jesus Christ do not honor the Lord as personal Savior. They are the enemy of God, a child of Satan. So they have a spirit of the Antichrist. And we as the children of God have the spirit of Christ living within us, right? And so we see this kind of unfolding in verse Four on the next page, uh, verse 3 of 1 John, we want to see this here. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming. It is now already in the world. So it is the spirit of the same denying, rejecting, of Jesus. But don't miss this here, all right? A pastor, a teacher, someone cannot be a child of God if they do not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, all right, and is God. Now, don't miss this because there are a lot of organizations that will claim to be Christians who have the same voting patterns as you do, who are more conservative than you are but yet do not believe that Jesus is God. They believe he was created by God, that he is a brother of Satan. And friends, what you need to see there is what? They are in the spirit of the Antichrist. There is no blending it. If you get it wrong about Jesus, you are not, what the Bible says, a part of the family of God. And so throughout the church's history, there have been many controversies about who Jesus is. Um, I was listening to a pastor this week, and um, as I was preparing for this, and this kind of unholy trinity, right, the, the false prophet and the, uh, the false uh, antichrist, this false religious leader, and then Satan. And I was listening to this uh, preacher, and he was really doing a good job, and he was explaining things, and then all of a sudden... He said this statement, and don't believe that the word of God ever teaches that God is three in one. And I thought, oh, man. There's your modalism. Yes. I said, I'm not listening to this yo-yo. Because what it says here is if you don't believe that Christ has come in the flesh and is of God, right? We're just looking at two-thirds of it then there's a big problem there. It says right there, the spirit of the Antichrist, and it's a rejection of Jesus. And we've just spent weeks on Sunday morning looking at what happens when you reject Jesus Christ. Right? It is an unforgivable sin. And don't miss this last one, then we'll stop for a minute. In 2 John chapter 1, verse 7, For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist, a spirit of rejecting who Jesus is. All right? That is very, very important. All right? Because as we look at who the antichrist is everywhere else in the Bible, 
All right, we need to continue to remind ourselves that this is someone who is anti-Christ, all right, anti the things of Christ, but yet is going to very much try to make him appear like Christ, right, to become the object of worship, to become the object of deception. And so don't miss that, because tonight in the world that we are living, you need to know that Satan is trying to convince some uh, through witchcraft and sorcery and things like that that draws people in. I know you, you, you might not like this, but you shouldn't be a part of horoscopes and all that nonsense. It's got nothing to do to honor the Lord. All right? I don't care what your sign is. Keep it to yourself. All right? Don't care. All right? You have some people that are like that. Some people Satan works in by just the busyness of life. They don't need God. They don't need the things of God. All right? But then others, he will deceive by giving them a little bit of truth, but not enough truth to save them. That's why the Bible says that Satan can appear as an angel of light, and we shouldn't be surprised if his followers appear as angels of light. And so we really need to get this settled in our mind. I have a wonderful pastor friend. He's one of the most godly, uh, christ honoring in his lifestyle that I possibly know. But he doesn't get it right about Jesus. He believes that Jesus is not eternal. He doesn't believe that Jesus is God. And friends, well, I, I would tell you the book that he reads out of, but I don't want to go slamming other people right now. So, but there are, are churches in this community. There are churches in other communities. And friends, we can disagree on so much. All right, we can disagree on the security of the believer. Uh, we can disagree on things in the book of Genesis chapter 6. Was it an angel? Was it a, what was that sin? Oh, but you cannot disagree on who the Father is, who the Son is, and who the Spirit is. And if there's anything worth fighting for, dying for as a Christian, it is that. Because if you reject that, you have a spirit of the Antichrist. Okay? Thoughts? Questions? I mean, just a pure belief in Jesus. Isn't there, I'm trying to find the passage. Isn't there a passage that says that demons believe in Trump? Yes. Uh, is that in Jude? Or no? It could be. Someone's got to have a Google you know, pulled up. I mean, do you even have, you know, Satan's minions that actually are at a at a point where they believe, but yet are against, against Christ. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Well, isn't that what's separating the church now these days anyway? The selective Christianity of uh, picking apart the scriptures and uh, only using what is beneficial. Well, I think all of us have verses that we like more than others, <laughs> right? You know, um, uh, for instance, you know, you want to you pick apart scripture with modesty. Well, that's going to upset a whole lot of people. Right? Or you want to wade through what does it look like to be the head of a home. <laughs> You're gonna... So I think we have to be very careful that there are some verses that the church has just never been able to agree on. But there are some that we cannot afford to disagree on. And I think that's where you have to really wade through it. Like you read through Romans chapter 1. 
and you look at how Paul describes what it looks like to get more and more depraved and more and more wicked and, and what it looks to go down that slippery slope of sin, right? Um, and how God deals with that. People are like, well, that doesn't matter. Well, it does matter because this is kind of the, the, the path you're on and this is how God responds. So, you know, you really can't disagree with that, but yet we do disagree with it. And so, yes, but I think a lot of it has been nitpicking, I'll be honest with you, but a lot of it has is genuine disagreement that needs to happen. You know, uh, for instance, a town, I won't tell you which direction from us recently, had two churches in the same denomination. Uh, this denomination is fighting over should homosexuals be allowed to be pastors or not. <laughs> it's the stupidest thing I've ever heard, all right? But yet one stayed, one left. And so to the church that left, because they believe it's wrong, congratulations. I'm so thankful for that. Um, you know, so in that case, I think, great, they took a stand, you know. But I've also seen Baptist churches go across the street, not because of anything that they believe, but because they didn't like this preacher or they didn't like this. Or, you know, so, you know, it's just a messy church. Right. Well, the, the preference is not what I'm mm -hmm. referring to. It, it's so easily for someone to, like like you were talking about earlier, uh, having somebody you thought was godly and so forth, mm -hmm. but when he got to that one special point, yeah, into a uh, new believer, oh, yeah. may just skip right over top of that and start believing what he believed, yeah. and, and it makes it difficult for for anybody <clears throat> to trust. Well, yeah. Yeah, well, I think that's why it's so important that rightly dividing, right? And, I, and, and please don't be mad if you've said this. I, I don't mean it, all right? But when someone says, as long as they're going to church somewhere, and I want to say, no. <laughs> there are some places I don't want them to go. Not, not because they're not here. I mean, i got some people I don't want to go here, but I mean, no, that's a joke. Come on. Guilty consciences. But I'm just kidding. That's going to cost me, yes. But, but it's true, you know. And so, and I hear that because what I've been studying, and I hope you've been hearing on Sunday mornings, is that the gospel is either, is either the softening the heart, working in your life, drawing you to God, or it's hardening it when you reject it. Or, or when the gospel is taught that it's not the true gospel, the damage that can do, you're absolutely right. And so... Yes, I want people in church, and there's a lot of wonderful churches in our community. Please don't think I'm saying that. But there are sometimes I just look and go, oh, no. You know, but, so. Got two things. Yes, you got two heads here. The Bible is in a buffet. you got to take the whole thing. Mm -hmm. and, and kudos to Aaron. It's James 2. James 2, okay. I had a J right, just the wrong J book. Yes. Explain the, the spirit of, of Satan. Repeat that one more time. Okay, we have the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We keep talking about his spirit of, of the Antichrist. Antichrist. Mm -hmm. Explain to me how that works exactly. Uh, is it an indwelling? So is I don't. Is it an attitude? Mm -hmm. Is it a. Uh, yeah. What is it? So we're going to look at that, actually, but I will go, we'll touch on it a little bit. One, I think it can be a indwelling because we see it in the, the Gospels, right? Someone is possessed by a demon, right? So a, a rejection of Christ. And uh, we're going to look at that in, uh, I think you've got it in, uh, 
Yeah. Um, Luke, on the last page of your notes, with, it actually has verses on it. That's a whole page of notes. You can see an example of that in Luke chapter 8, right? For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For it had often seized him, and he was kept under guard, bound by chains and shackled. And he broke the bonds and was driven by the demon into the wilderness. Jesus asking him, saying, What is your name? And he said, Legion, because many demons had entered him. See that? Not just a demon. Many demons had entered him, and they begged him that he would not command them to go into the abyss. Abyss, excuse me. Um, I don't have it with me tonight because I'm trying to be more time conscious, but if you read the Gospel of John, when um, Satan, or when Judas goes to betray the Lord, I don't think I put it on, yeah, Luke chapter 22, uh, right there on the second page at the bottom under the yellow, and starting in verse 1, now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called Passover, and the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might kill him. For they feared the people. Then Satan entered Judas, surnamed Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. So he went his way and confirmed with the chief priests and captains how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he promised and sought opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of multitude. So when we talk about the fallen kingdom, right? We, we talk about Satan and his influence. One, Satan is not a man. He is not a little red dude in pitchforks and tights. Satan is a spirit, right? He's a spiritual being. And so I believe he can work through possession. I believe he can work through influence. I believe he can work through deception. I think you see all of those in the New Testament. Um, I believe in this passage of Scripture there is some discrepancy. I don't really see it, that it wasn't Satan, that it would have been one of his minions. But I'm just going to read it for what it says, you know. Um, and so I, I think that we see this here, right? And so that's kind of the, the overview of the, the spirit of the Antichrist. Yes. Yes. So, I do not believe a child of God who is filled with the Holy Spirit can be possessed by a demonic spirit. I believe if there's already a spirit in you who is God, who promised never to leave you, then, then another one can't push him out of there. So... He did reference him, yes, yes. So, I mean, there was those characteristics even before this mm -hmm. possession took place. Yeah, and so I, I look at it as, right, the more you're exposed to the gospel, the more he saw Jesus, the harder his heart grew, right, and set himself up to be used by Satan, by whatever means that was. And so that's the danger, once again, from being exposed to the light 
but yet refusing the light. So, but yes, those are, are hopefully, I hope that answers the question some, not, 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 okay. Mm -hmm. And he can do that with everybody, totally. The spirit of the Antichrist, are there enough fallen angels or that can... Well, one-third well, of a multitude is a bunch. Yes, so I believe that not everyone has to be demon-possessed to be demonically influenced. Um, if you look in the book of Revelations, what we were just looking at, if you want to go back to, uh, I think it was chapter, was it chapter 11 or was it chapter, ah, chapter 9, talking about the bottomless pit, all right? Uh, if you remember in there, um, when it opened up at one point, uh, let's go here, um, it was in, was it uh, verse 13, 14? Yes, in verse 16. Now the number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million. And I told you some Bible commentators believe that's the army of China. Other people believe that's the army of demons. 200 million demons that are released on the earth at this point. So uh, I don't, do not believe that it's that many on the earth at a time. I believe it is very few uh, in comparison to that number. But, uh, but I do believe that sin and, and is used uh, by Satan as well in our own hearts and lives. So. I just don't want to give more credit to the Antichrist, the spirit thing. He, I think not that I did not think he did. Mm -hmm. And I give him credit. It, you know, it's unbelievable all mm -hmm. that he can do. But uh, I, I really wonder how limited the spirit is in mankind. Well, I believe we see it in Second Thessalonians chapter two, and we're going to look at that verse here. We've looked at it a bunch over the last couple weeks. Um, uh, there, in I think it's on the second page, as what you have there. Uh, in verse 7 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, second page, middle on your notes. We're going to get through these just in the wrong order, but we're going to get through them tonight. Um, it says, do you remember, not remember, that when I was with you, I told you these things. So he says, I've already talked to you about uh, the Antichrist. I've already talked to you about this one who is going to set himself up. And now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. So I do believe that the wickedness of Satan and his influence is restrained by the Holy Spirit working and moving. And so, um, like I said, how his kingdom works in its fullness and all that he accomplishes, I do not know all of the answers to that. I'm just glad I don't belong to his kingdom. So, amen. Oh, it's right here on the second page on the back. Second Thunlopes. Second Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 6. Because it verse goes on in verse 7 and says, For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Right? Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of 
the way. So I do not believe the Holy Spirit leaves the earth during the period of the tribulation, but I believe his influence is hindered. He, he does something different. He doesn't, he lets go and says, all right, you want wickedness, you want sin, you want all these things, you can have it, all right? To the fullness of the wicked heart, the fullness of the demons of hell, the fullness of Satan being thrown to this earth, you can have it. All right, But yet people are still being saved during the tribulation period. So the Spirit of God is the one who works and moves according to the book of John. So I think that's so where... God has to remove the constraints the same way the devil had to ask permission to sit Peter. Absolutely. And to attack Job. Absolutely. Absolutely. So God is just giving him a little bit more leash. Absolutely. Absolutely. But, you know, I'm not trying to go back to this one. Like the Israelites in Egypt, we're protected by God. We have nothing to fear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, so let's look because when we look at this passage of Scripture in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, which we just referenced, uh, Paul makes a very important statement. He says, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. I believe that is going to be the Antichrist, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember? Now, I want to stop there. Because Paul is saying, I've already taught this to you. You've already learned this. You already should know this. And the question is, well, how would they know that? And so it goes on and says that when I was still with you, I told you these things. And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawlessness, the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. So Paul says, yes, he's going to have a time, but the Lord is going to destroy him. And so where would they have learned? Where would have Paul been able to teach them about this? What does the Bible say? Well, most likely it would have came from the book of Daniel. And you can see here in these verses that Daniel had visions, that God gave him these visions. And look what it says here in Daniel chapter 7. I believe talking about the Antichrist and his kingdom to come during the tribulation period. Daniel chapter 7. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring breaking into pieces and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. Now, I don't know if you remember reading the book of Revelation in chapter 13, verse 1. It had seven horns and, or seven heads and ten horns. It was considering the horns, and there was another horn, a little one, coming up among them before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots. And there in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking pompous words. Look back to Revelation chapter 13, if you have your Bible open in verse 1. It talks about ten horns, 
and on his ten horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. And it is going to go on down in verse 5, which we're not going to get time to look at it because we're almost out of time for the night. And he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. And he was given authority to continue for 42 months. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. All right, so we see here this spirit of the Antichrist, if this is the Antichrist, that he is going to have a kingdom, he's going to have influence, but yet he is going to be built on the empires that have come before him, but he will be like any other ruler the world has ever known. All right? But it has the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking pompous words. Okay? Because you go down in the same chapter in Daniel chapter 7 and it is explained to him what this vision means. I was watching, and the same horn was making war against the saints. Now don't miss that, because now go back to Revelation chapter 13. This is why you should bring your Bible. In verse 7, would someone read Revelation 13, verse 7 and 8? Alright, so it says this beast from the sea is going to be given the authority to make war with who? And you go back to Daniel chapter 7, and we just look in verse 21, it says, I was watching and the same war was making war against the saints and prevailing against them. What did it say in chapter 13 verse 8? To overcome them, prevailing. For a season of victory. Until. Don't miss this. The ancient of days. Came. And a judgment was made. In favor of the saints. Of the most high. And the time came. For the saints to possess the kingdom. I believe it's the 1000 year. Millennial reign of Christ. The earthly kingdom of Christ. But there's a lot of dissonance of agreement. And that's okay. Thus he said. The fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on the earth, which shall be different from all other kingdoms. All right? And should devour the whole earth. Now, there have been some amazing kingdoms, some dominant kingdoms. You can look at Rome, and you can look at... But they've never controlled the whole earth. Now, the problem is... Sometimes when the writers of Scripture are referencing the whole earth, they can be referencing the the known earth, right? Like all of the Roman Empire to them seemed like all of the earth, okay? But yet here, we're just taking for what it says, all right? And shall devour the whole earth, trample it, and break it in pieces, okay? The ten horns are ten kings who shall arise from this kingdom. And another shall rise after them. He shall be different from the first ones and shall subdue three kings. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High, 
shall persecute the saints of the Most High and shall intend to change times and law. Then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time and times and half a time, which I believe that's three and a half years. But don't miss this because this is where... um, But the court shall be seated to consume and destroy it forever. Then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. That Just like Dave said a minute ago, that God has given him permission, he's given him this leash to do this for a purpose. I believe it is for the bringing back of the Jewish people, all right? But yet we see this, that he has given this time, he has given this authority, but never forget what? That Christ wins, all right? That Christ's kingdom is the only kingdom that will last forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever, all right? So like Gary was saying, we don't want to give too much credit to to Satan and what he's doing and the power that he has and the work that he has, and that's absolutely true. All right? Just like Dave said, we have to be we have to understand that just like with, with Peter, that God gives permission, God has a plan, God has a purpose in all of this, which I do not understand a lot, all right? But yet we see the details here so that we can know. How God is still in control. And that is so very important. Other thoughts? The, uh, the hint towards Rome, though, is Rome is the city of seven hills. Mm-hmm. You seven in there. And if you've got those first ten emperors, that also fits, fits very well with him. Yeah. And then you also have, after Nero, you have a period of four, four of that. Mm-hmm. It was a one-year period of confusion where three came and went, and then I believe it was Vespasian that took over after, after, at the end mm-hmm. of the year. But I mean, one year's time, mm-hmm. there were four Roman emperors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there is a lot of similarity to that, but I think that where you run into the problem with that is that in verse 22 it says, Until the Ancient of Days came and a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the most high right destroying the work of the antichrist right and even though someone has been destroyed other antichrists have been destroyed in the spirit but the ancient of days has not came again right and so that's where i think you really have to kind of wade through that just like in second thessalonians 2 um, when it talks about how the defeat will occur that's very important in kind of studying through how do you fit this in with historical, is it prophetic, um, and all of that stuff. Because a lot of this stuff is written about earthly kings, right? We've seen that uh, and what they were being judged for. But yet there's also a, a prophetic word tied in with that as well. And so that's where you get into all the issue is how do you wade through what is historical, what is prophetic, um, to come, so that's where the, the all of it gets very challenging, and none of us has it all right. So well, the one lens that I have to put on it is this had to make sense to the seven churches that this was written. Mm-hmm. It, 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 you know, there had to be a then 
Well, I, but I think the problem with that is if the Spirit is the revealer of all truth, mm-hmm. we are going to be under, able to understand it as well, even if it might not be as well as them with the context they're going in. But then on the flip side of that, I think there are some things like the Bible says that we can understand looking back at it now right. as well. So I think there's a balance there with, that we... With fulfillment, we look at it in a different mm-hmm. way. Absolutely. But as the culture of that time, mm-hmm. this being written to them for us, it makes it, makes it, makes it you know, yeah. a different twist on it. All right, let's just kind of jump through because there's one more verse I really, really, really want you to see. And uh, my brain's not working tonight. But in Daniel chapter 8, verses 23 through 25, we continue to see this described. And in the later time of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their fullness, a king shall arise, having fierce features, who understands sinister schemes. His power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. He shall destroy fearfully and shall prosper and thrive. He shall destroy the mighty people and also the holy people. Through his cunning, he shall cause deceit to prosper under his rule. And he shall exalt himself in his heart. He shall destroy many in their prosperity. He shall even rise against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without what? Human means. And so when we read this, once again, describing this person, there are a couple very important terms here. When the transgressors have reached their fullness, all right? When the human race, when the world's wickedness gets to its apex, all right? As wicked as it can get, as wicked as it can be, at that point, all right? Then this king will arise. All right? I believe that's during that period when the, the gates of hell have been opened up, the demons from the abyss, who schemes, his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. Right? The Antichrist does not do this by his power. Right? He is given power by the beast and by the spirit of the Antichrist, okay? Very important. But don't miss this. It once again says he'll prosper and thrive against the holy people. Through his cunning, he shall cause deceit and he shall exalt himself in his heart. But don't look, miss what verse in the end of it says. He shall even rise against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without human means that means a spiritual supernatural power of god is going to bring him to an end i believe that will be at the end of chapter uh at the chapter 19 when the lord comes back riding on a white horse but don't miss daniel 9 and then we're going to have to finish because we're we've ran through our time so does that mean the prince of princes is that satan himself no i will i so who would be the prince of princes that he would rise against probably so some scholars believe that the Antichrist revolts against Satan, but I don't believe that's faithful. I believe it is the Lord Jesus Christ. Caught me off guard there. Good question, but I was... Other questions? Yeah. 
Well, but I think when you look right here in verse 25, through his cunning he shall cause deceit to prosper under his rule, and he shall exalt himself in his heart. I think that's pride in his heart that leads to pride in his actions. But I will look at that some more. But look there in Daniel 9. And this is where we kind of get into this whole, the 60-some weeks, the 70 weeks. And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. Jesus dies, but not for himself, but for us. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And the end of it shall be with the flood. Until the end of the war, desolations are determined. If you remember last week when we were reading about Satan's fury against the uh, Jewish people, look at verse 15. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood. And so, verse 27, Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. So that's where you get the idea that the Antichrist will make peace with Israel for the first three and a half years. Right? That he'll let them sacrifice, that he'll let them rebuild, and then at the halfway point, he will turn against them. But this last verse, and I'll be done, and you can ask questions or throw tomatoes, but I wanted to, to quote about who, some of the characteristics of why the Antichrist himself might not be who we mentioned earlier. Then the king shall do according to his own will. He shall exalt and magnify himself above every god, shall speak blasphemies against the god of gods, and shall prosper till the wrath has been accomplished. For what has been determined shall be done. And this is describing him. Don't miss this, okay? He shall regard neither the gods of his fathers, nor the desire of woman, nor regard of any god, for he shall exalt himself above them all. Now, you might not have ever heard this, but I'm going to tell you this. For years and years and years, Bible commentators believed that the Antichrist would be a homosexual. And the reason so many in the church realized that homosexuality was like the last stop of depravity was because that was going to be a trait of the Antichrist. You say, well, where did they get that from? Here. He shall neither regard the God of his fathers. So some people thought that he's going to be a Jew, right? They, they tied him with that nor the desire of a woman, or woman in general. And so that's where they got that from. Nor regard any god, so is he an atheist? For he shall exalt himself above them all. Now some Bible commentators disagree with that, all right? I'm not sure where I fall yet. I'm still trying to study it, all right? But what we see from this is, is for he shall exalt himself above them all characteristic that stands out the most of the Antichrist or the spirit of the Antichrist is always pride. No matter what else we look at in the scripture, no matter what else we disagree with, 
Pride is it. Right? Satan wanted to be worshipped like him, wanted to be above him, and it was pride. As a, we looked in the parable of the soil, right? The pride. As we've looked at in even the church, what gets the church in trouble? Pride. It's my way. I want things this way. I want things that way. I want to do this. I want to do that. I feel. I think. It's pride. And so tonight I want us to see the, 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 the propheticness of this and the fact that I believe it's going to happen. But I don't want us to miss the danger that we all have of pride and the destruction that pride can cause. It can, it can happen in Bible class. It can happen in Sunday school. It can happen in Wednesday night Bible study. I, I, I've said this before. I hate it. Hate it with a capital H. Going to seminary. I hated it. All right? I had some wonderful professors. I had some guys that loved the Lord. They loved the local church. A lot of them were pastors on the side, or they were pastors first and professors on the side. But some of them had not been out of a classroom in decades. All right? They'd show up to some church, they'd preach this big sermon, and they'd run back to the halls of the college and do nothing. And I will never forget some of the conversations I had over the phone and over the emails and stuff with my professors. And it's like, well, you just can't do it that way. And I was like, I don't care what you think. I'm watching it. All right? And just this idea of, of I want to learn from someone who has been there and done it. I want to learn from a Paul who has been there and done it. That's why I'm thankful for my mentor. And I know I talk about him a lot, and some of you know him, and you know this to be true, and, and all those things. But one, the reason I listen to him when so many people don't think that you should is because I've seen it, right? I've seen it how he responds when someone attacks him, right? I've seen him lead churches to see people saved and watch God work. I've, I've seen his commitment to the scriptures and, and all of those things. And so, I can take his advice with confidence. I don't care if he's not a doctor. I don't care if he's not in some seminary, right? I've seen the fruit that has been produced through him. And if you've heard him preach, you know it has to be the Lord doing it, all right? And that's just, that's just the way it is. Well, I don't like this. It doesn't matter. And so what we need to be reminded of is, is we need some humility. We need humility in the pulpit. We need humility from our Sunday school teachers. We need humility in the pews. We need humility when we volunteer. Humility, humility, humility. Until we can be humble, God does not bless. Why? Because he knows that pride is of the spirit of the Antichrist. You can't be prideful and make Lord Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life. Humble yourself. And that's what it all comes back for and comes back to. All of this is great. I have enjoyed it. And I'm not saying I have, have, have enjoyed doing all the study sometimes because I'm like, I had a funeral today. We had a funeral Monday. And, you know, I was pulling into the parking lot on two wheels this afternoon going, I've got to finish this up, right? I've got to type it up. i got to. But don't, don't miss the main point of the danger of pride the danger that pride brings to each and every one 
of us. Thoughts, questions? Kind of going back to your Sunday morning Absolutely. Absolutely. You can look on your notes there, uh, the reference to the sand and the beast and the sea and the seven heads and all that kind of stuff. Um, we didn't get to those tonight. We'll try to pick those up maybe next week and do some more discussions about where this is found in the Bible.